Good morning, everyone. Uh, no music this time. This entire recording episode, whatever you want to call it, will be all about WrestleMania. And you can hear the birds chirping while I'm recording this because I'm out going for a quick walk while nobody else is outside. So remember, uh, you know, social distancing and don't be in groups of people. I'm outside walking right now because nobody else is out here. Anyhow, uh, last night was the first night of the two-night WrestleMania. And it was, it was started out, it started out, you know, fine. But then it really ramped up during the second half and they finished strong as hell. And it was great. So I guess what I'll do, I'll, I'll run through the matches and all, but first, you know, just talking about the whole situation, yeah, I, um, I did not know what to expect, really, you know, I mean, these past, what, month of, excuse me, TV recordings in empty buildings, you know, they've been kind of weird. And they've been up and down, really. I mean, some stuff has worked really well, particularly all the, pretty much all the talking segments, promos and all that stuff have, in my opinion, worked better in the empty building setting because, <clears throat> well, I mean, crowds at televised WWE events have developed this real tendency to just, you know, hijack things like promos unless it, unless you're one of a few people so that's really taken away from you know most of the talking segments you know the live ones because you know they have people out there live mic and everything in front of the crowd so you know this the whole empty building thing has really helped on that end because people are now allowed to you know do their whole you know, spiel, promo, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, they're allowed to change their vocal inflection, you know, they have to pause and all that kind of thing without, you know, having what chants and all that, you know, screwing up everything. And, you know, you don't have things where, you know, Randy Orton is doing a full-fledged, you know, heel kind of promo trying to explain why he did what he did to Edge in front of, you know, and Beth Phoenix is out there and then people are chanting RKO because, you know, you knew that's how the segment was going to end. But people were just being impatient and chanting RKO, right? <laughs> and as great as, you know, that performance was from Randy, that kind of took something out of it, really, that people weren't allowing it to breathe and allowing them to properly build up to that moment. So, being in an empty building, where there's none of that, where that can't happen, just allowed for so much, you know, better work from people on the mic. So, what I hope going forward is that they find some way to capitalize off of that. I mean, I was personally 
I would just go back to the old pre-tape stuff, you know, because look, promos used to all be pre-taped back in the day because the whole show was pre-taped. And it allowed you to, you know, say whatever it is you needed to say and get the whole thing out and all of that stuff. So personally, that's what I would go to. I would find some way to make that more of the norm than the exception. And, you know, you kind of have to retrain the audience in the building. Right? So that what will happen is, you know, for a while, you know, people in the building will, they'll miss it. They'll miss out on something because they'll be too busy chanting what and being stupid. But over time, you can get them back to listening. <laughs> you know? So I think, you know, the whole empty building thing has been great for that. You know, now, the one thing it has taken away from, to me, for me anyway, it's kind of taken away from the in-ring action. Because you're not getting the crowd reaction to certain spots and what have you. But, at the same time, that allows the wrestlers to not have to do some, you know, spot monkey kind of match all the time, right, I mean, one thing, as somebody who's been a fan for over 30 years, you know, one of the big things that we, we need more of now are matches that just aren't spot fests, where people are allowed to, you know, settle in and work and you know and work off of you know facial expressions and screaming out in pain and you know all that kind of stuff to communicate what's going on and not just you know okay spot 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 let's pop the crowd so as weird as it is not Hearing crowd pops for big spots. I think the other aspects of matches have been really helped. And I'll you know get to that later. Uh, but you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't I didn't have any expectations. Because we didn't know what was gonna happen here, right? We didn't know what was going to happen doing a show as big as WrestleMania, as important as WrestleMania, under these type of conditions. Whether or not they were going to just kind of try to get through it, or, you know, whether they were going to go all out. So that was, I mean, those were the real questions. Uh, some of the matches didn't, just didn't, you know, on paper or based on what we've seen we weren't sure how good they were going to be and given the circumstances and all we're kind of at a point where hey you're trying to get, get 
our minds off of what's going on with the coronavirus and all of that. So, you know, I didn't have a bunch of expectations, but, you know, I wasn't, just wasn't sure what was going to happen, right? So anyhow, let's get into it here. First, now I was, you know, I went, I watched the whole thing. Uh, so I started with the pre-show match or kickoff show match or whatever you want to call it. And that was Cesaro and Drew Gulak. Gotta give it, man, gotta give it up for Gulak. This is, I mean, you know, uh, this past month or so, he's gotten a real chance to be out there and show what he can do. You know, shout out to Daniel Bryant for getting people, you know, involved, for pulling people up that he wants to work with. And he, I mean, he's really, Daniel Bryant is really taking advantage of his position in a good way. And he's not, you know, sitting around, instead of, you know, Pouting about not being able to, you know, work good and proper wrestling matches. You know, he's gotten himself, he got himself into a position where he can call some shots. And he's using that position to pull people up who are also great entering workers and give them a chance to work with him. And... You know that that that's very unselfish of him, and it's great. And I'm glad he's been doing this. Now, as far as uh, this match, um, it was it was good. It was short. It was only it was it was under five minutes. I mean, Gulag and Cesaro can easily put on a 20-minute clinic for us. You know, without a problem. And it'd be great. Hopefully they'll get a chance to do that. Or I guess, you know, this is where we really miss, you know, the house shows. Because, you know, these two, you could put them on a house show match, give them 15 minutes, and they could go out there and just do something phenomenal, in, you know, in front of everybody from town to town. And they wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about eating up, you know, eating up too much TV time or something or other, right? But, you know, the little bit we got here was good. And Cesaro pulled out, or pulled back out from what I understand, the other airplane spin. And got a win with it. And, man, it has been a long time since... In a you know in a big match like this, I've seen somebody pull out the airplane spin. That's you know now apparently I mean he did that when he was in Ring of Honor or whatever, but I didn't see any of those matches. So you know just the same way he, you know he brought back the giant swing, right? And so it's always good to see Cesaro pull stuff out like that. It's a good match. Hopefully they'll get more time and you know pull out everything they can do sometime in the future but you know nice little preview of what's possible between them I right, see so we move on uh, to the opener 
was the um, women's tag team title match. And that was a good one. They, they got about 15 minutes. So, you know, it, it started out, you know, fine. But then, you know, the last few minutes, it really turned up. And they really got going. You know, all the way to the finish. Now, so we have new champs. Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss. And congratulations, Nikki Cross. Come a long way in what, about a year since she's been moved up from NXT. So, uh, you know, I think, again, this is, you know, you, I think, you know, you got counted as one of the success stories from NXT. And as far as Alexa Bliss, Personally, I think she's. I want you know. I don't know if she's actually gotten better. It's just that she's in a position now as a tag team wrestler where she doesn't seem out of place. Now she did a very good job in the Royal Rumble when she was in there. I mean, she was number one, and she was in there for a while. Which is not something that, you know, people thought, you know, a couple of years ago that she was capable of doing. So she pulled that off and, you know, she's done, I think, a good job as a tag team wrestler. I think that, you know, given that she's had, you know, some concussion problems, that... This is where she's best suited. And, you know, she's not in a position to where people think she's, you know, stealing other people's spot or something now. And, yeah, I think she and Nikki can, you know, ride this out for a while, especially under the circumstances. As far as the uh, Kabuki Warriors. I mean, it looks like Oscar's gonna be doing some more single stuff coming off of this, depending on how everything goes, obviously. And Kyrie saying, I mean, there are rumors that her contract is up soon, sometime this year. And so we'll see if she sticks around or not, but she's kind of in that, if, if that's true, then she's kind of in that limbo position right now where you know, like, you're not going to do anything too big with her. Because, you know, you don't want to have her in some high position and then, you know, walk out the door. But, we'll see. You know, um, I think they can, you know, they can keep teaming up. But, you know, would love to see her do some work with, like, Liv Morgan maybe after this. And, you know, they can have some matches and they can, you know, and all of that. She can, you know, and I, I think that would be great. But we'll see what happens. But, you know, good opener. A title change to start things off. Next, we moved on to uh, King Corbin and Elias. And, look, I'm one of the Baron Corbin fans out there, I think, he does a great job. He does exactly what he's supposed to do, which is 
you're not supposed to like him, right? And one of the problems with too many people who are supposed to be heels now is that too many of them play to the crowd, too many of them try to be cool, and also on something that's not their fault, too many of them, you know, because of the kind of glorification that comes from, you know, being on the indies or what have you, too many of them come in with people in the crowd who don't want to boo them. And it, it, it hurts the whole act. And, you know, it, but, you know, Corbin is none of those things. Right? He, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't play the, doesn't play the crowd, doesn't try to get himself over on the internet. And he doesn't come from a background that makes him, that makes the man behind the character a sympathetic figure. So he goes out there, he does his thing, and people boo. And I know, and that's how it's supposed to work. And he's not, and he's not supposed to give you anything likable. Remember, he is the bad guy. So, I'm a big fan of what he does. I know some of y'all thought he was, you know, spent too much time and like doing main event level stuff. But, yeah, I think that was good for kind of getting him established in the position where now they can just plug him in up and down all over the card and he can do his thing and he can get booed and have an entertaining spot and you know this match to me it, it was a good entertaining match you know Elias doesn't have a reputation as a you know great worker or anything like that but the two of them in this match thought they worked well together now the referee Jess, she, you know, added something to it, and that's another thing with Corbin. He's great at the jawing with the referee, and the way he was just, you know, yelling over at the commentary team. I mean, that that, that added stuff to the match, and to me, it was a good example of the match to have on the card. We're two entertaining people. And no, it's not a bunch of high spots or whatever. But we need more matches like that. And we need, you know, to reestablish that kind of match on wrestling shows. Because everything can't be high spot, high spot, high spot. You gotta have people on there who do what both of those guys do. So, you know, I thought it was fun. It was entertaining. And the finish, you know, Corbin being mad at the referee afterwards allows for you know, setting up maybe some type of thing 
between him and the ref going forward. They can play in all of his matches with different people. You just, you know, got to watch him and get a lot of the old school subtleties of working crowds and working the audience that he does. They get, you know, they get lost on a lot of people today because, you know, they judge things one way and have one opinion of what is and is not good. But, you know, for me, I mean, he's a throwback to when I first started watching. And he, I mean, he would have absolutely killed it back in the 80s. And that kind of work, the stuff he does, still works. Right? I mean, it still works. And, you know, as, you know, as long as you're, you know, you're not in front of one of these, you know, jaded kind of crowds, it still works. It still works great. So, they, you know, they had a good entertaining match here. Now, after that, you know, I believe it was Becky Lynch and Shayna Baszler for the Raw Women's title. And, you know, I got a good bit to say about this one because the way they set up and lined up everything, you know, with, with Becky just saying, I can beat everybody now, I'm the greatest, and you know, that kind of thing, that was all leading to a situation where she should have just been put down in short order here and kind of knocked off her high horse. And they didn't really do that here. They had what was kind of a 50-50 match. And it was, it was good. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, and I know a whole lot of people were came into this thing ready to blame Shayna for the match being boring because if you're not into her style of work then a lot of people do think she is boring and you know personally I don't think that but I do think that her match is working in front of a crowd that's you know, looking for spots is really dependent on who she's in there with. And so I did not think that this was going to work very well because, you know, um, Becky's not like a power wrestler who throws people around and she's not, you know, an aerial tactician or anything like that like she doesn't do that kind of stuff so so yeah so that yeah this had the potential to be not very good had they you know tried to play it straight into a straight kind of grappling kind of match but thankfully they didn't do that they made it fight and it worked really well Up until the end because um well I 
my guess is that they probably changed their mind on the finish here when they had to change the format for the show. I think once they had to switch to two nights at once, the future of TV was uncertain. Then that kind of threw everything out the window and probably made them want to stick with status quo, at least for now. Now, I don't think, you know, Shayna is not ruined. Shayna is not buried by this. You know, it was a flash roll-up kind of pin. Like I said, it's not, what I would, it's not how I would have booked it, but, I mean, it is what it is. And, and we'll see what happens. And, I'm, and I mean, it really does, though, I guess the real problem with this now, this kind of leaves the question, it's like, well, what next? Right, if if Shane is a one and done, I mean, it doesn't look like it'll be a one and done, but you know, in today's fan base kind of environment where people get on the internet and they, you know, overreact to any kind of loss and where you know, too many people are not willing to just let things breathe and play out over a few months. You know, it is kind of a head scratcher. I mean, look, you didn't, I mean, you didn't have to do the title change here. That's fine. I mean, but, you know, I don't know. I think DQ finish would have been, you know, if better in my opinion. Um, because, you know, if this, if, if it, if this thing ends soon, then, I mean, you have a serious question is now what? Because, I mean, the only real answer is for, you know, Rhonda to come back. And I don't see Rhonda coming back now under these kind of circumstances. So... You know, if this was just meant to be just another kind of notch in the belt or whatever, then we have to really ask, okay, well, what now? Are you like, what are you going to do? I mean, who else is left for her on that side to go up against? Or on the whole roster. I mean, you know, I... So unless they, you know, unless they're gonna have Shayna beat her in, you know, a rematch or something soon, then yeah, I don't know what you do because you know, look as great as she and Charlotte are working together, they've had so many matches against each other over the past almost two years now that. You know, the idea of them going again this soon would just be another, oh, really? So I don't know where you go. I don't know where you go from here. And we'll have to tune in and we'll have to see. And I, you know, I think it's a bit, you know, they didn't back themselves into a corner or anything yet. But 
home at some point. You know, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to do something different here. They are, because you know, I mean, they've been a over the past year. There've been a whole bunch of like stupid, concerned trolling kind of pieces on the internet about well, Becky's lost the crowd, or and that's totally false. You can just listen every time she comes out. That's not true. But you know, if you're booking things. You do want to, you don't want to squander what they've gotten out of her so far. And so there needs to be some type of curveball thrown in here at some point. It really does. And I don't know how they're going to do it, but they need to do it. Because I mean, look, they, can, they can ride the train, just keep riding the train. But you run the risk of kind of the bottom falling out in such a way that you know you can't really climb back up. And that may not happen for I mean, that could go on for another year, right? So it's just one of those things where you gotta be looking and thinking ahead and throw the curveball in in the right way because you know you can't do a heel turn with her somewhere down the road it's like people just are not going to hate her you know, she's too likable a person and all and you know her kind of personal story Again, Painter is, you know, too sympathetic a figure to really get people to boo her like that. You know, what'll happen is just, you know, if you burn the candle too hard without, you know, throwing some kind of wrinkle in there, then just, you know, when things fade, they'll just kind of fade and you know and we don't know when that's going to come like I said it doesn't show any signs of happening soon don't let you know don't let the idiots on the internet that try to push that convince you that you know that the end is coming soon or whatever it's not but from a booking standpoint you got to stay out ahead of this stuff so that it doesn't happen so I mean that's the challenge going forward Just keeping things interesting with her. You know, as far as her matchups and her opponents, because if it gets to the point where it just doesn't look like anybody's ever gonna beat her, then you know, then then, then you know, you maybe kinda will see that maybe kind of apathy start to creep up or people kind of just moving on or whatever. But again, that's that's not anywhere near soon to happening so it's not a thing to be worried about today but like I said I did think I thought they were going to book the finish differently for that one but the match itself was good and 
it was way better than you know, a lot of naysayers going in thought it was going to be. So those of y'all who were going to, who were all set to blame Shayna Baszler for having a boring match and all of that, y'all need to give her an apology. Y'all need to apologize to her right now because y'all wrong. You know, uh, that takes us to now the Intercontinental title match. It's uh, Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryan. Yeah, I saw some people were not happy with the way this went because it essentially went kind of like a TV match where, you know, both guys did some good stuff. You know, there was interference and then Sammy's boys, you know, Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura were able to distract Daniel Bryan enough for Sammy to get the win. And yeah, I mean, it did play kind of like a TV match and it's only about eight minutes long. Yeah, I understand wanting those two guys in particular to get to have, you know, the kind of full 20-minute match that they're capable of having. I get it. I understand. But you can't always do that. And there are you know, priorities on a show like this. And the other matches were bigger priorities. So you can't give them 20 minutes here because you got other stuff to get to. That's a bigger deal and it's more important. And again, you know, this is another one of those situations where not having the house shows is kind of detriment because yeah, you could give those guys 15 minutes on a house show, let them go out there and kill it. But here, they gotta fit in on a bigger show, all that kind of thing. So you just had to do this. Uh, I am glad that Sammy won because I really love what he's been doing. Now he's one of the few people that has been successful in overcoming that example I gave earlier of being somebody that people just don't want to boo. You know, he has the career pedigree that makes a lot of quote-unquote smart fans want to just see him succeed all the time and root for him all the time. And, you know, he's one of the, and he is one of the examples of a real-life good guy away from stage and yet you know he goes out there on Friday and he gets people to boo him when, he, when they're out there in front of crowds on the Smackdown so he's been really good at that and you know the kind of plucky underdog thing he was before was really you know it, it went about as far as it could go okay, he was not going to win the world championship or main event a major show in that role i know some of y'all wanted that it's never going to happen like he may not be like a main eventer even now but he's in a lane and 
he has performed he's been performing very well for a year now in this particular lane and one of the things I harp on a lot in terms of how we react to stuff is that we got to sit back and let people get in a lane and perform in that lane and let them do a great job he's been doing a great job in this lane that he's in that he's been in for the past year he's been doing a great job an outstanding job and if you're a fan of his then you know accept and appreciate him doing a great job in the spot they have him in rather than you know, being upset that he doesn't get to go out there and have you know 20 minute matches and you know be in the main event or what have you just appreciate what he's getting to do now this is great work he's doing it's entertaining work that he's doing he's in a good place on the card you can tell that he's one of those people who has obviously earned a bit more freedom in how he's able to talk on the mic. And that's one of those things where you have to earn that. You have to show that you can do it. And he has shown that he can do it. And, you know, he's clearly getting a little more leeway here. And he's making good use of it. So if you're a fan of his, you should be happy that he's getting this spot and he's getting to show out. And he's getting to do things in such a way that more people will remember him and not just, you know, that guy who has great matches because there are a ton of guys who have great matches. And truth of the matter is a whole lot of them don't get remembered very much other than by people who just watch hours and hours of matches and what have you. He's doing something here that's going to last in people's memories. And you, if you're a fan of his, you should be happy for that. Now, with that, my walk is finished. And I'm going to take a break. And I will get back to talking about the rest of the show. WrestleMania and 
you know, I had a couple more thoughts about the uh, thing with Sami Zayn and Daniel Bryant. Yeah, I've mentioned before how, you know, they didn't get too long to work there. They had about eight minutes and some change. And then I know some, you know, some people were disappointed by that because they want those guys to get a longer match. But the other thing I want to just talk about is, um, you know, Sammy's little trio with Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura and how, I mean, that has really turned out really well. And the three of those guys, you know, it, it seemed kind of weird when they got together. But now, uh, I mean, it's, like I said, it's fit together really well. And now Sammy and uh, Shinsuke have been, have been together for a few, several months now. And, you know, that was one of those things that when it first happened, um, some people weren't happy with that because they wanted Sammy to be in the ring, wrestling, but, you know, it, it was, it seemed a little mismatched at first, but it came together really well. And then adding Cesaro in as like the third guy, that kind of seemed kind of out of left field, but, I mean, it, it's worked and they fit together really well. And it turns out that, you know, I think Sammy actually put that together. Uh, he saw something where he, you know, it was just it was kind of his idea and he pitched it because, you know, both of those two guys were, weren't really involved in anything. So, you know, they, you know, they put it together and they've been worked really well together so far. And what I'm hoping is that now, you know, you got, Daniel Bryan, you got Gulak together, and then the third guy, and so like Chad Gable or Shorty G <laughs> would be like the perfect third member for their group, and you could have all types of just great stuff. Of course, you'd have six man matches, but then also just the individual matchups in between that, you know, um, you know, like. Uh, Gable and Sammy, Gable and Nakamura, Gable and Cesaro, or, you know, Gulak and Nakamura. We've seen that, and we also saw Gulak versus Cesaro earlier, but, you know, Gulak versus Sammy eventually. And then, you know, you know Daniel Bryan versus all of those guys also. And, I mean, there's a whole lot of potential there, and I hope that's what comes out of it. It'd be really nice because, I mean, they're going to need a third person. And just, again, this thing with Sammy and his group has just been an example of, you know, finding your way into a lane and doing some entertaining stuff and how, you know, when you get to this level, that's more important than, you know, five-star matches and all that kind of thing. You know, and so, like, there are people who are going to remember this little run he's been on more than, you know, any of the matches he had when he was in NXT. And that's just, you know, that's just one of those things. And you have to, you know, they're in the, look, they're in the entertainment business. And ultimately, ultimately, you know, you're trying to do something that's obviously entertaining, but that people are going to remember and that people are going to, you know, see as important. And the reality is, is that, you know, the quote-unquote five-star matches 
they're not they don't carry that value you know as far as what people sticks out in people's mind right it, it's very seldom that that happens unless you know you become somebody who's that's part of their character like Shawn Michaels right I mean that became part of his persona part of his character but if that's not you if you're just somebody that quote unquote smart fans talk about as being a five star match worker if that's all there is to you then those matches you know they come and go they really do and it's just it's not as important as you think in the grand scheme of things and we'll get to that more of that later but again that was an excellent match. I mean sorry it's excellent work Sammy's doing the match was the match was you know good enough but it was it was a TV match but that's what you got to do sometimes you know you can't give everybody 25 minutes or 20 minutes in these kind of situations so now you know we get to the second half of the card and this is where business really started to pick up you know we got the the three-way ladder match which was supposed to be three tag teams you know the Usos, New Day and then Mrs. Morrison but got changed to a you know, just a triple threat ladder match you know with singles and it was a Kofi, Kingston, Jimmy Uso, and John Morrison. Each representing their respective teams. You know, and so this was, you know, this was a spot fest. And here's the thing now. Now I've been, you know, I have very much been critical of spot fests. And a lot of times I can be, you know, get off my lawn guy when it comes to those. But here's the thing, right? You know, spot fest existing as a having one on the card, you know, as a contrast to the other stuff is fine. That's fine. That's what it's there for, right? But it's just that when you have several of those on the card, and then you have, you know, guys who, you know, that's kind of really all that they are, is having those kind of matches. That's where it's a problem. But in this case, you know, in this case, it was the only one of the night. And it was the only pure spot fest of the night. There were, I mean, there was, there was a match I could do, you know, the Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins match had some crazy spots too. But this match was, you know, pure spot fest. But, again, it was pretty place on the card such that it was a contrast to other things and that's the difference and this worked great it worked really well all three guys were just taking bumps like crazy doing all types of crazy stunts and all that um and the finish was really clever it looked it looked for a minute there like you know, Jimmy was going to grab one belt and Kofi was going to grab the other. We'd have some type of, you know, mismatched tag team champion situation. But, you know, they were fighting over the hook and then Morrison grabbed both belts. That was a really clever finish. This was a really just great match. And up to this point, it was, it was match tonight, up to this point. And it was, it was just 
excellent work by three guys who can fly around. You know, I'd say it's probably the best performance Morrison has had since he's come back. And, um, you know, we'll see more from these teams down the road here, uh, you know, depending on how things, you know, shake out as far as TV tapings and whatnot. But, you know, we definitely got to get, we'll get some more mileage out of this. Um, whether it's just a straight match between, you know, Miz and Morrison and Usos or, you know, or them and New Day or, you know, some type of just kind of standard triple threat tag team match or maybe you knock four way, you can bring in heavy machinery or, you know, whatever. And, you know, there's a whole lot more to offer from this. And this one entry was really great and this is when like business really started to really pick up the first half of the card was, it was you know it was fine you know the matches were you know good they were entertaining but this is where it really started to pick up and feel like you were watching a, a special card here with this match now from there we got okay, i don't know if i have the order right or not but i'll well i'll do the universal title match first because, I mean, it was you know, a short match. You know, Goldberg doesn't work long. They don't, you know, the old saying is he didn't get paid by the hour. True. Um, Braun Strowman, of course, was the kind of last-minute filling for Roman Reigns. And that's, oh, boy. I mean, we, you know, a lot of us, you know, Roman Reigns fans were very concerned about, him working under these conditions because you know he look he, he's had leukemia and he's immunocompromised and having him show up to work in that situation you know we don't know who might be carrying it or what just you know that was just something that a lot of us didn't didn't want to happen so when he decided to pull out you know the best decision possible now they didn't really talk about it here whereas like with Miz Miz was sick and they sent him home and you know they worked it into the you know well they, they you know they, they made an angle out of it because you know Smackdown there was a fight between the three tag teams you know and so they were just able to say that hey he got injured during the fight and they didn't have you know they didn't have any angle kind of just set for Roman so they just haven't really talked about it as far as like on TV or anything. I know that's left some of y'all feeling some kind of way. Uh, I really don't know what to make of it. Uh, you know, it's just, they're kind of, it's one of those things. I don't know if there's, um, don't know if there's a right way to have done it because we all know why he pulled out of the match, you know, and so you know, they're not really fooling anybody. I, you know, I, I don't know. And, of course, this has sparked the usual stupid suspects with their uh, overly speculative, no inside knowledge having takes that, oh, he's going to get punished for doing this. This could be the beginning of the end for him in his position. Uh, and, you know what, look. Y'all can't give those people oxygen, Okay. Y'all can't. 
you know, they, they, you know, look, there's been a lot of folks been basically eating, eating off of talking crap about him for the last five years. And there's a whole little cottage industry within, you know, wrestling podcast and wrestling website land. And they're going to keep doing it as long as you keep giving them oxygen, as long as you keep clicking on their pieces, as long as you keep listening to little podcast segments. They're going to keep doing this stuff. So you just got to stop listening to them. Stop clicking on them. Stop sharing them. You know what? I mean, I don't think he's going to be punished or he's going to have heat for doing this. This is a crazy situation that's going on right now. All right. And, you know, he's a really special case. And as much, you know, as much as he's done for not just the company as a whole, but for a lot of his fellow wrestlers, you know, I mean, anybody got a problem with him doing it can go jump in the lake. Right. And just, you know, you can't give oxygen to those people because they literally don't have anything to add to the conversation. They're just throwing shit on, on against the wall because they know it gets them attention. So you got to let it go. You, you just got to stop, okay? And you just got to stop because they're not adding anything to the conversation. They're just playing off of people's hair trigger kind of tempers to get you to hate click or hate read or hate listen to what they're saying and stop doing that I mean that's all you can do if you want it to go away you gotta stop doing it but if you know but if you keep jumping in you keep indulging in that stuff then they're gonna keep then they're gonna keep at it and as far as match itself like I said you know Strowman Goldberg they need it you know they're not long match guys and, you know, it was kind of just, I mean, it was a, kind of just a finisher match. You know, they just, Goldberg hit a bunch of spears, knocked, took Strowman down. They did, they did, you know, throw a little bit at the opening bell. But, you know, Goldberg went, you know, hit a bunch of spears. Strowman hit a bunch of running power slams, you know, and that was, that was that. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, you know, it wasn't as intense as the match Goldberg and Brock had a few years ago but you know it's just I mean it is what it is and you know Strowman Universal Champion and for a lot of y'all it's three years too late I mean my opinion is that when y'all when a lot of y'all wanted him to win he had no business being in any kind of champion at that level because he was super green you know and had to be just had it you know completely just led through whatever match he was in he was not somebody you could have put the title on and have him hold it for any period of time really so to me there was no point in doing it when a lot of people wanted it um You know, as far as I'm winning it now, you know, we'll see how it goes. I mean, there's potential for him to have a nice little run with it, especially the way things are going. Um, I imagine that 
you know, look, we may not see Roman for a while because, you know, he needs to be home. He needs to hunker down. He needs to not be around that because of the coronavirus. So, you know, we just may not see him for a while. And if you're a fan of his, that sucks. I get it. I mean, yeah, I, but rather than stay home, be safe. And, you know, hey, we'll see you in action when things are able to go again. You know. And look, we're not going to let nobody forget about you, big dog. We're not going to do that. So, oh, that's that. You know, next up, we had uh, Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. Now, I'm a confession. I was not really looking forward to this match that much. I remember their you know, universal title matches, which, I mean, they weren't bad. But, you know, I've gone back and I've watched a couple of those, and they just kind of turned into kind of what I call, you know, indie-rific kind of matches where, you know, they both just brought out some of the worst kind of indie wrestling tropes of, you know, just doing stuff for the sake of doing it and not having, you know, particular sense of coherence or, you know, and also, you know, just, well, I wouldn't call it no selling, but just, you know, not really selling that great. And also it turns out that, uh, you know, both men have pretty much been miscast. They were miscast at the time, you know, because Owens was playing heel, Rollins, face back then, now the roles are reversed. You know, Rollins is much better at playing heel. I mean, just it's just much better at it. And Owens is one of those guys, like I mentioned before, because of his, you know, career background and because he, you know, all accounts seems to be a really good guy in real life. Just, you know, people aren't going... People, I don't think you know people are ever going to get jump all the way in with booing him. Even though you know, I think I think he mostly does a good job playing heel. Although I mean, there is some of that playing to the crowd kind of stuff that I've mentioned before with him. But you know, they're not he's not, he's just not going to get booed like that. And because he's not going to get booed like that, having him as a heel is going to hinder whoever's on the other side because they're not going to get. You know, they're not going to get cheered like you want them to get cheered. So, it's, you know, it's better to have him in the position he's in now. Yeah, and with Rollins, like I said, Rollins, when it comes to playing a character, Rollins is much better at playing a heel kind of character than playing a good guy. I mean, as a good guy, he's just kind of, you know, paint by numbers, right? And it's just, you know, conveying kind of, you know, kind of personality traits and conveying kind of just the emotions that you're looking for from one of the good guys. That's just not his thing. I mean, I think he's, 
he's adequate, but you know, a lot of the cheering for him is, you know, because he's an indie guy and because of all, you know, the his time in the shield. Right? I mean, I just I don't really think you know, the cheering that he has gotten in the past was really because of you know, his own individual kind of character work. But yeah, I wasn't, yeah, I just, you know, I wasn't really looking forward to this match before it happened. And because, you know, they've been fighting on TV for a really long time and tag matches and trio matches and all that kind of thing. And, you know, those, you know, you know admittedly they were both holding back, which is what you have to do when you're on TV every Monday and you got to go on the road and you got a paper. I mean, you got to, you know, you can't go full tilt all those times. You know, and so I just, you know, I'd gotten used to seeing them fight each other under those circumstances. So, you know, I wasn't really looking forward to this. And I got to say, they far exceeded my expectations. I mean, they put everything into this. They put heart and emotion into it. They were, the, this is another match where the, not having the crowd so you can hear them kind of trash talking each other really added to the match. You know, and they, you know, they pulled out some big spots here. I mean, I got Owens in particular pulled out some, I mean, my goodness, he died the dive off the top of the, the WrestleMania pirate sign was insane. And this was a really great match. It's the best. This is the best match either one of those guys has had in a while. Um, yeah, man. Um, I mean, for both of them, I mean, both of them. I mean, this this is just best match either one of them has had in a long time. And they had it, you know, the biggest show of the year, which is what you want. You know, and you know what? Um, you know, could I go for a kind of a? If this isn't, if this is not the final confrontation, could I go for like a final confrontation kind of thing later? Sure. Although I think this might be the end, really, because you know the AOP, where Seth's primary backup, one of them is injured and out of action. So you know. I, and this would be honestly probably a good time for him to kind of take a break, given how the way to imagine it and all of that. But we'll see. You know, really great work from both guys. Again, best work that both of them have done in a while. So great match, just excellent. And that brings us to the final match of the evening, the, the Boneyard match. And this was one of those things where. You know, they could have, this could have the potential to be really bad. And particularly if they tried to do something inside the, you know, the building. Yeah, and this was something where, like, you know, people, a lot of folks just want Undertaker to go away and just retire and stay retired. 
you know, but, you know, I was willing just to be open-minded and see how this worked. And thankfully, they fully just embraced the ridiculousness. They, I mean, they made this thing like a movie. And they shot it like a movie, like a like a big final fight scene in some type of action movie, like something out of like you know Roadhouse or you know some people mentioned like Red Dead Redemption, the video game. It was like something out of one of those things. And again, you know the talking during the match, the trash talking during the match, really added to it. You know they just did did you know every just whatever crazy thing they could have think of they they did, and it was just awesome. It was great. And, you know, I really, really hope that they do more of this kind of thing. Because, listen, um, you know, in 2020, there are, you know, you can, you know, there are great people. There are people who are, you know, great at in-ring work everywhere now. And you can have, quote-unquote, great matches everywhere now there's no there's no one place that has a premium on that so you know to stand out as a product to stand out as a show like you got to do something different you can, i mean obviously you you know you're going to have mostly you know quote unquote regular matches and all that you know and then they have the talent for those to be very good but you know to do something that stands out you got to do more stuff like this I hope that they do more stuff like this. And honestly, the other thing is that if you hear laughing in the background, that is my children. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, but yeah, you know, that's how you stand out now, doing stuff like that. And you know, doing that kind of thing, actually, now you know, we're talking about hey, Taker can hang around now, right? Because you know, you can do stuff with that kind of thing. That, you know, he doesn't have to take bumps, right? I mean, if, hell, if you want, you can just have, you can have a big stunt double if you want. And, and, you know, so he doesn't have to do anything crazy. But, and this, like I said, this, this match was phenomenal. And it was, you know, no, no pun intended, AJ. And it, but it, it was just, it was, it was great. And, you know, I'll take this a hundred times over you know, what what they would have tried in a regular match, which would have been, you know, just AJ doing a Shawn Michaels impersonation, just getting thrown around the ring and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Taker not trying to look like he's 55 years old. So this this was much better than anything they would have gotten done in a ring. And just, I mean, it was just spectacular. Yeah, we want more stuff like this. You know, you can have, you know, you can have more boneyard matches with the Undertaker. You can have, you know, different settings for different people. You know, and and you know, it's just it opens the door to just all types of creative kind of stuff. And it's just a plus all around in this, from AJ to Undertaker to Gallows and Anderson. To the people who, whoever wrote it, whoever shot it, it, it's just great. And, you know, this is one of those things, it's going to stand out in people's memory. More 
than any five-star match, okay? And that's what you're trying to do here. You know, if you, you know, as many, you know, AJ Styles has had a ton of five-star matches, and I'd be willing to bet you that this outranks a whole lot of those for him now. To be a part of this, to work with The Undertaker, one of the great all-time, you know, wrestlers, and to be basically the first night main event at WrestleMania, I mean, you know, that's definitely a top five career highlight for him. It might be number one. It might be the career highlight for him. As far as The Undertaker, uh, let me tell you, you know, I said this in a conversation I was in on Twitter, but, you know, he, no one that I've ever seen has maxed out on his gimmick like him, and no one I've ever seen has evolved their gimmick over time like him. From, you know, the original kind of spooky character to, you know, the American badass to the kind of different iterations that have been kind of, you know, hybrids of both. And, you know, to what he is now, kind of like the old gunfighter now, right? I mean, it's just, no one has done this. And he's done this over 30 years. No one, in, in 1990, nobody was going to, nobody saw this. Okay, he was mean Mark Callis in the NWA. And, you know, I went to the, you know, 1990 Great American Bash, and I saw him lose to Lex Luger. And, you know, from that standpoint, it looked like that's what his ceiling was, that he would maybe win the U.S. title, you know, but when it came down to big matches, that he was the guy that would lose to Lex Luger or would lose to Sting, and that would be that. And then, you know, when he first came over to the WWF and became The Undertaker, even then, initially, you know, he was somebody that, you know, looked at him and like, you know what, okay, he's going to put a nice little run together and then he's going to lose to Hogan, right? And then, you know, he'll probably just be just a character, you know, however much longer he wants to go after that. So, for you know, for him... To be where he is today, you now I mean that is a credit to a to Vince McMahon who saw who was the only one crazy enough to have that kind of you know vision that this that character could possibly turn into what it did, and then it's a credit to Mark Calloway for buying all the way in with what could have been and probably should have been a stupid dopey character he bought all the way in and played it like it was 100% dead serious he played that character to the hilt he you know and whatever misgivings he might have had about it you know and his you know private personal thoughts you know he didn't go around complaining and you know saying oh this is awful why they got me doing this 
right? I mean, he he took the role and he has played it to the hilt, and he gave it. He has one hundred percent dialed in and one hundred percent bought in, and he has played this to the max, and that is what you're supposed to do. That is what you're supposed to do. You are supposed, you know, you. I mean, it starts with, you know, they give you something, and you know, if and if you don't like what they give you, then you know, you you can fight to it. You you know, you fight to adapt it. You or to do something with it is more towards your taste, but. When they put you out there, when when it's your turn to go out there and perform, you know you got to buy in and play it to, you know, the max, or else people are going to see that, that you don't like what you're doing. The people can see when you're half-assing it out there, and it's never going to get over like it should. But if you go out there and you you do what he did, you play it all the way up, and you know, I can almost guarantee you there were times, though, especially those early years, where he was like, what the hell is this? But he went out there and he played it anyway. And he played it all the way up. And as he got older, you know, as he, you know, he got time and he got, you know, earned trust and all that kind of thing. Yeah, he's more than likely put a lot of his own personal spin on it. And he's figured out who he is and who he is through this character and you know over time you you add your stuff in to make it work over time but he bought all the way in you know and look sometimes look i know in 2020 it's very fashionable to just get mad at vince and get mad that you know they you know give people this or that to do and tell people that that they're supposed to play this character this way or what have you. I mean, it's very just in vogue now to be mad about that and to crap on it and all of that. But when it works, like it did, like it has worked with The Undertaker, this is what you get. And as a fan, it is worth it to sit through... The stuff that it's worth it to sit through the stuff that doesn't work to get to this. All right. That's ultimately what it comes down to. All right. And, you know, whether it's him or guys like the New Day who hated what they were given at first, went out there and did it, and then fought for things to change and fought for just a chance to do it their way and we're willing to even say look if this doesn't work then you know what get us out of here you know that's what you got to do as opposed you know and you know not the whole kind of passive aggressive whining on social media kind of stuff which some people seem apt to do a whole lot of and you know, and look, because, again, because it's in vogue to crap on Vince for all his wacky, crazy ideas now, you know, you, you can you can build yourself a nice little following on social media complaining about, you know, not being allowed to do what you want to do and all of that. 
And look, I mean, you know, there are people who do that and, you know, they've got, you know, they've got their little Twitter following or whatever and they got their, you know, and, and that's, you know, whatever, man. Um, look, and, and look, I'm going to name them, you know, I'm talking about the revival, basically. And look, those guys, you know what, those two guys are never going to do anything as memorable as what we got from The Undertaker. You know, whether it's this Boneyard match or any of the other times during his career. Those two guys are never going to do anything that memorable. And instead, they're going to be the guys who have, you know, get co-signed on Twitter by a bunch of people whenever they complain about not being able to, you know, display the, the, the sanctity of great tag team wrestling or whatever. I mean, okay. So, you know, good luck, boys. Um... It is what it is, you know. And a lot of people like to co-sign what y'all are saying. I'm not one of them. But anyhow, back to this. Um, this is what they do. Look, when the, you know, when, the, you know, when Vince and the WWE, when they hit on something, this is what you get. And, yeah, this is why you, this is why you, you know, power through you know silly segments that don't work or you know silly characters that don't work you power through that to get to the stuff that does because the stuff that does work is a plus and that's what this was last night it, that was it was a plus as a spectacle as 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 a match as a you know as an entertainment product right it was a plus and it you know it, it it's going to stand out for long long after you know a bunch of five star matches and all of that kind of thing so yeah I'll take look I'll take this any day great job by everybody involved uh, so that's night one in the books I will, you know, come back and finish doing this after night two is over. Today is Sunday while I'm doing this, talking to you here. I will come back and finish this after tonight. Maybe I'll finish it right after the show's over tonight. I don't know. But I will say right now that the, the whole two-night WrestleMania thing I think is good, judging by how the first night went. Um, I think, yeah, I think, look, I think, I think two nights is a good thing. Now, obviously, you know, they got to work out for next year. You know, God willing, we're through this coronavirus stuff. You know, they got to work out, you know, the, the ticket, you know, logistics because, you know, getting people to come to both nights at a football stadium is, you know, it's kind of a tricky proposition. I mean, some people will be able to, but some people won't. So, you know, you're going to have to have, you know, you have to have it set up so that, you know, some people can buy a ticket to one night and not the other one. And, you know, that, that's what you'll have to do. You have to figure it out some kind of way. And, you know, then, you know, there's a question of what do you do about the NXT takeover and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you got to, 
I mean, there's, there's logistical stuff you got to figure out. But I'm all for it. Because to me, this, it's better than... You know, it's better than trying to sit through a seven-hour in one sitting kind of deal. You know, two nights, three or four hours a piece. Even though, I mean, it adds up to the same amount of time, but still. I think two nights, three or four hours a piece is, you know, the way to go in the future. They just got to figure out the logistics and all of that. So, I hope, they, hope they're able to figure out a way to do it. And I hope they're able to figure out a way going forward to, you know, incorporate the things that have worked with these empty arena shows going forward into the future. So uh, that's it for night one. Be back. I'll talk about night two. And maybe there won't be as much background noise while I'm doing it. Okay, guys.